I self-identify as a runner, although physically and probably mentally I am not. <laughs> I've got a very good ability to focus on one thing for a long time, but you know he didn't. But I can't do many things at once. All right, we are here. Special guest, we have Sid back with us with Brian and I, and we also have Brad Reed. We have to start with the nickname, the Silent Killer. The Silent Killer. What's the? Tell us about the nickname, Sid. I don't really know where it came from. Um, <laughs> I, I think it. Rumor has it that Gerald Ray said that I would, uh, since I was a a Navy man back in the day, that I would. I didn't talk a whole lot at the time. Gerald thought I was the perfect type to uh, choke somebody out with a with piano wire silently. That's that's, that's it. Uh, Just sneak up I, behind you. That's it. Piano so that, wire before you knew it. It doesn't have any tie with running. It's just that's the nickname. Yeah. But is he is he a silent killer out on the trails when he's oh, running yeah, too? Sure. Like yeah, <laughs> sneaky long as I say. <laughs> Yep. Excellent. All right, Brad, we'll start off by telling us your running story. Ah, running story. Um, I guess it kind of it uh, gravitated from my time in the service in the Navy. I was on submarine duty. Um, I was stationed up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, so it was a definite contrast to what I was doing in the Navy. I would go out for two to four months at a time, um, be underwater come back into port and we'd have about three to four months off to train and have some R&R. &R. And uh, every chance I got, I tried to get up in the mountains, get up into Mount Rainier, uh, the Olympic Mountains, and I, I just kind of gravitated to um, those environments. And then when I uh, got out of the Navy, um, I went into nursing school and picked up uh, kind of the road scene, um, did a uh, of the neighborhood and city, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. And then uh, I started uh, looking more and more into the long distance stuff but thinking it wasn't really feasible um, or even practical at that time. Um, I did happen to uh, enter my first marathon back in 2001, and that was the uh, Nashville Marathon. At the time, it was the Country Music Marathon. So they have bands like every mile. They had a band. The... They had a country music band every mile. Uh -huh. And you're thinking, I'm going to hear music the whole way. But really, once you're out there, you hear music from maybe 80, 100 yards, and then you're already past that band stage, and you go on to the next one, and it's quiet again. <laughs> um, but that was fairly impressive for me. That was the biggest thing I ever, I'd ever been a part of as far as running. Uh, it was about 8,000 people were, were there, and it was a helicopter, you know, maybe a helicopter above us. Uh, filming it, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty huge." But nowadays, I think the marathon's upwards of thirty-five or forty thousand people, oh, wow. so it's even bigger than that now. Um, and I ran that with a bit of food poisoning. Um, sardines, I'm sure. Well, no, not sardines. Uh, so it was like Michael Jordan in the flu <laughs> game for you. And I had some sort of chest cold as well, and I remember just coughing and sputtering. I felt good for the first sixteen miles, and of course, like everyone else, you know, the wheels start coming off the bus. And uh, ended up finishing maybe for somewhere around four and a half hours. Um, and I can remember having my little foil blanket over me next to the Titan Stadium and just kind of chilling. But it kind of it kind of awoke that um, part of me that enjoyed the mountaineering and the climbing out west. Mm -hmm. um, so my early uh, let's see here. From there, um, as I started running, I ran a couple more marathons, ran a couple trail marathons, and then it's kind of a, I picked up the old Dean Carnese's book, um, Ultra Marathon Man, and I read that, and uh, it was pretty inspiring. Um, I know people uh, can kind of take or leave his stories, but I, it inspired me. Um, and I was like, but still 100 miles, running 100 miles, seemed way off the, the reservation for me. Uh, what changed? What was the, what was the thing? Did you meet other people that had done um, 100 mile races? Did you just I say, hey, really I, I think I can do this? Had, um, this was back in 2000 and 
maybe 12 or 13. So I really didn't know anyone in the area that had done 100 milers. Um, I had read some stories of a couple people over in Asheville, um, up in Virginia, but no one I knew personally. Um, and then, uh, so I decided to do my first 50K uh, to see how things would go. So I did a, I did a, it was October, I think it was October, it was a stump jump, 50K. And uh, when I got through with that one, that was, that was a pretty good eye opener for me. And I remember sitting at the finish with, with my wife, Sarah, she's always been pretty, really supportive at the, at the finish lines with me. Um, my, my quads were quivering and I've never experienced that before. And uh, I was like, this is wild, but I, I think, I think <laughs> I'm done. I'm not going to do any more of these. Yeah. Uh, and so, so of course, uh, after about two or three weeks, the, the, the memory of the trauma fades and I find myself looking for the following year. And uh, so I, I come across the, the stage race in Chattanooga, uh, the three-day stage race. It's uh, 60 miles over three days over Raccoon Mountain, Signal Mountain, and uh, Lookout Mountain. And uh, that was a, a great event, but it's it every day feels like you can't do the next day when you finish it. Sure. Um, but uh, that was a, a big eye-opener for me. And uh, once again, uh, I had some IT, IT band issues after the finish. Um, I wasn't for sure how I would do it on that third day. Uh, but came through it, and <clears throat> so, wow, about two two weeks later, I signed up for the Grindstone 100, um, which was... Uh, so you're like, I did 60 in three days, <laughs> I might as well do 100 now. <laughs> that was your thought process? But, um, the, uh, so I, so I, leading up to the Grindstone, um, I had done, um, I did the stage race and I did um, another 50k. I think it was the Iron Mountain 50k or 50 mile or 30 miler, and um, and I think I did the the Base Mountain 15 miler, and that was kind of my my races up to that point. Um, so I started. Uh, I was at the, the start line for the Grindstone Hundred, and I was probably getting about 125 to 140 miles of running a month. And that was really it. Um, and so, uh, and the, the weird thing about race prep for the hundred miler is, uh, there's a, there's kind of a wild feeling that I would get pre-deployment, uh, when I, before we would go to sea and, uh, you know, you make, you make phone calls, you, you know, you make sure your, your will is how you want it Ooh. to be, <laughs> you know, and, um, it doesn't, it, it kind of, it makes you reset and, and pause and know what you're about to do. Uh, you know, it has a great deal of risk. Yeah, you think about things a little bit differently, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you had that same feeling when, at the starting line well, of Grindstone? When I, was, when I was preparing for the 100 miles, as far as having all my gear laid out in front of me, my kit, I had my goose, my, my snacks, uh, making sure my hydration was on point, uh, talking with my wife, making sure I had a couple things here and there along the way. Uh, where would she where she would meet me um, for uh, provisions and just good moral support? Um, it gave me that feeling of preparing for you know going for going on deployment. And so for I've been out of the Navy for probably close to ten or twelve years at, uh, up to that point, and that that feeling just kind of hit me like a hammer. Wow. And uh, nothing else in those previous eight or ten years had made me feel like that, and it. It definitely made me pause and um, just give it a go. Um, nice. Did you have Sarah check on your will? Make sure it was updated. So it's similar with Denise. When I did Georgia Jewel, I'd, I'd let my term life insurance expire. And I asked her maybe one day, I said, are you putting the are you putting a premium for that term life insurance like you put in their savings or anything like that? And my term life insurance to what I had was relatively expensive where I'd had the cancer, you know. And she said, well, I've got a confession to make. I said, what is it? She said, well, I extended that life insurance in case you didn't make it through the race. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so uh, at this race, um, I, uh, I'm actually... 
Um, Clark Zealand is a, he's the race director for the Grindstone 100, and he has a good deal, a good job of having, of having a pre-race meal. Uh, the race starts at six, so there's a pre-race meal from what, you know, three o'clock to about four o'clock. Everyone's in there. All the racers are in there. Their their wives, their families, um, and I happen to be sitting at the same table with uh, Carl Metz Meltzer, <laughs> and uh, he was about two people down from me at the table, and I I had uh, you know heard of him and read about him, but I never had really met him before, and uh, I didn't really uh, I didn't make myself known or really reach out to him. I was just sitting at the table there, and uh, just eating dinner with my wife. And, uh, I remember the, uh, well, I, before the race, it starts at six. So we went back to the tent to try to get a little bit of a cat nap before the race. Uh, but that didn't happen. Just pre-race jitters couldn't do it. Uh, so we just kind of laid there listening to neighboring tents around us, try to lay out their strategy for what they were, how they were going to do, you know, certain sections of, of the course and that kind of thing, which was funny because I, I probably knew at that time that, all their best laid or best made plans probably weren't going to be coming to fruition. Sure. Um, but that was a, a very tough night. I remember the start. Um, I had not trained in probably two or even ran at all in about two weeks uh, before uh, Grindstone, just a solid, no, no running taper other than just some walks around the neighborhood, that kind of thing. Um, so I take off out of the gate fresh, just ready to go. So I, I'm probably third or fourth behind, and we go around the lake, and then it's just uh, um, Neil Gorman, Carl Melcher, and then me. <laughs> 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 and we, for about, we, we go around the lake, and it narrows down to a single track, and then goes back around to a, a double track road. And uh, I remember uh, for about the first mile and a half, there was just me and the top four or five people. I was like, oh, yeah, this this is good. I feel Stuff great. Stuff is easy. And then <laughs> the gravel road turns into this pretty steep mess going up to this first the first fire tower. And, uh, oh, yeah, I start walking immediately. And they just kind of take up on up the mountain. And uh, long story short, when I had gotten to the 40-mile mark of the, of the uh, course, um, Carl and Neil had already made it to the – turnaround point and we're coming back at mile 60 so they were already 20 miles ahead of me um at at uh it was dark i'm not sure what time it was probably yeah. around four or five in the morning um so about that time i just i started walking i walked for a good three or four miles around that turnaround around mile 50 um and then uh i, I came down that morning and My wife asked me if I needed anything, that she would meet me at the next aid station. And I said, I'm, I got a craving for some bacon. <laughs> and so it's, Doesn't everybody. The sun, <laughs> the sun has just came up, I believe. And so she's on the back roads of wherever, Virginia, dark, single, you know, one lane roads uh, off of a gravel road. And so she's cooking bacon in a, <laughs> in a skillet on the side of the road and on a Coleman stove. Middle of nowhere. She, she, and at that time, I really didn't know anybody in the running, in the running community, so she really didn't have anybody to kind of lean on. Uh, she had met some some people while she was out there, but no one that she really knew that she could ask any advice to. Um, and so at the at the following aid station, she came through. She handed me a Ziploc <laughs> bag full of bacon, and I my, I couldn't get to my pack, so I just stuffed it in my waistband, and uh, I was a that morning I was snacking on bacon. Um, every time I felt kind of low, I would just snack on that bacon and it kind of it perked me up. Um, and uh, I remember one of the highlights of that day, for some reason, I came over this hill and one of the aid stations had a little barbecue sandwiches on uh, Hawaiian rolls. And their mascot at the, at the aid station was a little pot-bellied pig tied to a stake. He, he was just walking around greeting the people that were coming through. It's, it's things like that that holy cow you, you almost you just you just can't make up but it definitely uh it, it makes the race more colorful than just you know running in a big city uh catching water cups and splashing them on your face and going to the next one um so that did light a fire per se uh but once again um after that hundred i think it was i did it in around 20 
five-ish hours. Um, but after that one, I was like, all right, that was good. I wanted to do this for the experience. Um, so, um, box check. I'm good. I'm good with it. Yeah. And I even, uh, one of Sarah's friends was an editor at the News and Neighbor, which is like a local, uh, newspaper in Johnson City, the mm -hmm. sort of Johnson City area. And so, uh, she uh, found some interest in it. So I wrote a pretty nice article and they posted, they published it. Um, but I was able to kind of, I wrote that article and thought, all right, this was good. Uh, one and done. I got to experience it. And then sure enough, oh man, about eight or nine months later, I, uh, it, it starts creeping up on me again. And, <laughs> and uh, so, um, oh man, it's for a long story short. Yeah. After that, I, I did uh, the Pinhody, which is the classic. I, I really enjoyed that one. If anyone wants to do their first 100 and looking for a challenge and one that's doable, I think that'd be a great first hundred miler for anybody. Very well run. Um, as far as, as far as having a crew, that's, that's probably one of the best set of races for a crew because the main road parallels the trail most of the way. Um, it's a very social event for the runners and crew as well. Yeah. Um, it's a point to point. There's a lot of uh, cool things about it. It's one that you could do without a crew. Have you done it without a crew, Brian? Done it without a crew. Mm -hmm. And is that all right? Yeah, I think I got it. Yeah, 20, 20 hours. You challenge. made it. Made it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some good experiences there. At the, I've, I've ran it once and I've crewed two friends there um, two different years. Didn't you run the whole thing when you crewed Sid? <laughs> oh, basically. Let's see. The first time I paced. How many miles did you do when I, you ran I with paced, Sid? I uh, paced 60 miles with uh, Sid. Well, Joe and, that, and we finished. He said, Did you run the whole race? <laughs> <laughs> um I let's see here. The first time I paced it was with Scott Bell. Um and we were it was sideways rain. We were coming over the I guess mile sixty or so. You come up to one of the highest points on the trail and uh it was sideways rain. Uh, we come up from a, on the summit. There's a an easy up with nylon walls, but the nylon walls have just been blown off and they're sideways. Mm -hmm. And the aid station all they had at that time were just peanut butter and jelly uh, slices or peanut butter and jelly, you know, bread slices. And uh, they, they were all, you, you would grab one and they would just dissolve in your hand because <laughs> the rain had washed into the, soaked, uh, huh? so oh, uh, man. Just, I, was, I was, and I saw this poor race volunteer standing there in the corner of the easy up, just shivering like crazy. Oh, I gave him so many kudos. Um, but we, we pressed on, um, I think I paced maybe 40, 45 miles with Scott. Um, but I love that second half of the course. It's, it's great. And then with Sid, it was a great night. We start, I started pacing him just before sunset. And then uh, we got to just... At the state park there, the big state park. Is that where you started? Yeah, is it Mount Cheetah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Mount Cheetah. We started there um, and ran you know, from sunset all the way to the next day. Um, and Sid was getting wild, and uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I started pointing out what the shiny things were on the grass. And he, he thought they were like maybe the little specks of dew that were reflecting. And I said, "No, those are spiders looking at you." He's like, "Nah." <laughs> so uh, I get him to look close, and you could, every little sparkle you saw along the trail and the, the weeds there were actually spiders looking at us. And yeah. the, the light was reflecting from our head. He actually brought that up to me eyes. when I was pacing him at. Uh, Georgia Jewel, he said the same thing in the middle of the night. He's like, yeah, Brad Reed told me that these are spiders. I was like, oh, great. Sid is hallucinating. I don't know where the next aid station is, but I think we're going to have to call it because Sid has no idea what's going on. And sure enough, I they are. Heard, I had no idea. Those little, those those little spider eyes, eyes were everywhere watching us. They were everywhere. And, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, the grindstone was like, I'm going to do one and I'll be good with it. And then and Hody was like, okay, I'll do this one just to make sure I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> and so the third hundred was uh, Thunder Rock. Um, and that, that was a good night. Um, I worked hard all day. Um, I went from like, I think I started off, once again, I didn't run at all for about two weeks beforehand. Started off fresh, ran more than I should have the first <laughs> eight or ten miles. Um, working my way up. You hadn't first. learned your lesson. I did not. No. I worked my <laughs> way up to first, and then fell back to like fifth or sixth there in the night. 
and then I was able to kind of pick my way up to first again around maybe three or four in the morning. Wow. But then fell back to third with about oh, maybe less than a mile left and got uh, passed by a guy and got fourth. But wow, that's amazing. Was the first year or the second year? That was the second year. Yeah. Did you run the that year? The first year was the year that Brian did it. You would have passed Natalie, him. Natalie, you would have passed him long was, before. Yeah. Natalie almost caught me there. I think she was only about, only about 15 minutes behind me. She had a strong wow. night. Yes. I think my favorite story, though, is from Thunder Rock. You, Sarah, and hanging out with them as we're crewing <laughs> Natalie, and here yeah. you roll in at mile, had to be, I don't know, maybe mile 40. Yeah, and I, I didn't swear. expect to be where I was at. Yeah, and then rolls in, like sitting there, I think first or second place at I that point. I think I started humming on Carry Long for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that would be for a while, right? No short hugs there. Yeah, she comes up with like one of those bread sandwich bags full of hot dogs and bacon and brad just reaches in grabs a handful of it and keeps running with hot dogs and bacon in. and i'm like who the hell can do this and just 40 bare handing yeah, hot dogs and bacon and going off bacon. yeah it was, I was like holy crap didn't even have a plastic bag he probably just tucked it in his waistband like he did the that bacon something that i've been able to do first I time i had a couple gi issues on the trail um but typically you know i crave sweets maybe the first 15, 20 miles of a trail run like that. But after that, I just want like savory uh, meat. Yeah, meat, barbecue, <laughs> quesadillas, those kinds of things, bacon. Uh, I, I was at a race in uh, Idaho a couple years back, and they had uh, uh, bacon-wrapped squares of watermelon. Oh, it was fantastic. Wow. <laughs> so things you normally wouldn't think would go together, they, they're just money on, on a hot day in the sun like that. <clears throat> you, you don't know you're, you're like a pregnant woman you don't know what's going to taste good you don't know whether it's going to come up or not you just so so what i've learned today is running 100 miles is the same as being pregnant and getting deployed uh, that's what i that's what <laughs> at I've the same time yes yeah, so brian's <laughs> never experienced either one but he has run a ton of 100 mile races much. But I, I still get that feeling though, even you know, the night before I'm in a hotel room or I'm in a campground laying out my vest, packing up all my goos and whatnot. You, um, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm very type B. I, I don't really overanalyze many things, but that is one aspect that I can appreciate and, and enjoy actually being methodic of laying my stuff out because I know that if I don't, the consequences could be pretty severe later on. Sure. I, you know, I typically always carry a few extra redundant items. I'll carry three flashlights generally, maybe maybe two or three extra batteries. Um, I'll carry a shell, even though it may be sunny and 70 all day, uh, just in case something does happen. I've got something to cover me. Um, like to go out prepared. <laughs> so tell, tell us how uh, you, you mentioned your experience with Speed goat, and then being up up front there for a while at the Thunder Rock, just for about so, well two miles or so. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, it. so tell it was us so how that ended with you trying to keep up with Pickett at Yeti. Oh, yeah, that was another one. I felt great. <laughs> I, uh, I think Dave Galloway, I think is his name. I was with him. Uh, we went through. I was with him first, second mile, sixteen. Uh, we got to. Mile 30, the first, or mile 33, the first turnaround. I think I might have been fourth or fifth. Um, and then uh, by the time I got to, oh man, mile 40 or so, I was already probably down to 20th. Um, I got past quite a bit. And I think that has a lot to do with my, granted, I don't do a whole lot of long training runs. My long training run typically will be 15 to 20 miles. So in, in my, in my, fall, I guess, is I, I try to run that pace, a 20-mile pace for a 100-mile race, and uh, I've yet to learn my lesson, um, but uh, with, uh, you know, being a husband and I got two kids, uh, it's, it's definitely hard to fit it all in, um, so I just try to do a little something every day, whether it's, uh, you know, rowing, um, bodyweight exercises, I'll try to run in the morning before work. Um, but uh, I, I think just being consistent, doing something every day, um, for me, it, it seems to work fairly well. Uh, 
except when I go longer than, you know, 20 miles. <laughs> but <laughs> Then you don't know what's going to happen. Right, right. You could feel great <clears throat> and have all the energy you need, or it could be a totally different story. I have learned that a lot of it, I think, 40, 60, you know, 40 mental, 60 physical, or vice versa, it's definitely a lot of a head game. Um, um, and you just uh, have to take it mile by mile, aid station by aid station, uh, and try to bite it, and try to keep it in small bites like that. Um, if, you th if you think of the whole event, then you're, it's just going to shatter you for the whole for the whole event. Um, try to keep things small. Um, is that your secret sauce for uh, the head game? Is just uh, is there something that you feel like uh, either in the military uh, or later on that prepared you mentally? That um, I've got a I've got a very good ability. To, I've got a very good ability to focus on one thing. For a long time, but no, he didn't. But I can't do many things at once. I'm not <laughs> he was a submariner, right? So, he, and he he was underwater. <laughs> and I asked him this question: at maybe Pinhoe at some point in time, how long were you underwater and never saw the sunrise? Those sixty days or something. It's around like that. yeah, seventy days. So, <laughs> so that <laughs> gets crazy. That <laughs> makes sense. Stay in a tin can without any other job. <laughs> 120 or 30. <laughs> you, Man. Can, you can run 100 miles, yeah, 100 you can miles go, a week. You can go into the pain cave for however long you need to, knowing that it's going to be over and yeah, the sun's going to exactly. come up still, right? Right. right. I did the, um, the Co is it Cohutta? Cohutta 100 in uh, the, Mohe the Mohican 100 in uh, Ohio. And uh, it was one of those where I didn't really train very well. It was hot during the day, 90, I think it was 97 degrees in the shade. Um, and uh, I, I had a good first, it was a four, it's a four lap race. Each lap's about 26 miles. Um, I ran the first lap really well. Second one I walked, ran, but then I got overheated on that second lap. I, I remember sitting at the aid station with a bag of ice in my lap, just trying to cool off. Um, and it was so hot, my wife and kids, they decided to go watch a movie in town. <laughs> they were over it. Uh, so they went to the You're pool. You're on your own, to Dad. Watch a movie and, and the air conditioning um, in between my lap because I was out for six or seven hours at a time. Yeah. Um, and so those last two laps, without even lying one bit, I, I walked every mile of the last 50 miles. It was just perseverance. I knew I wasn't going to break any records, but I paid to be there. I was going to finish it. And uh, so I... I had uh, I just walked the last 50 miles, and before my kids and my wife left to go to the movies, there I asked my daughter to get my iPod. Well, my iPod she couldn't either she couldn't find my iPod or it was dead, but she gave me her iPod. Well, her <laughs> iPod all it had on there was about an hour and 20 minutes of Megan Trainer oh, and yeah. the. Uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. <laughs> so that's all I had. So for the last 10 hours of that course, I listened to Beauty and the Beast and uh, Megan Trainer on a loop. And it, So what was more mind-numbing, <laughs> that on a loop or the loop of the course? It, it was actually a pleasant distraction. It, it kind of reminded me of my, you know, just of the, of the giddiness and craziness of our, you know, just, uh, just family life, you know. Uh -huh. Um, so it, it was kind of comforting, <laughs> even though um, uh, it was it was a little mind numbing. And what, what was wild about two months after that, my wife and I saw um, a Beauty and the Beast at the Barter Theater. Um, and so I was sitting there, and I kind of got a cold sweat over me, <laughs> listening listening to the key parts of the music and thinking where I was on the trail at that time during those key moments. But at the same time, if they needed a stand-in, you were ready, right? Right. right. You could have been the Beast, you yeah. could have been Gaston, you yeah. could have done it all. Yeah. You could have been Belle. You could have been Belle the Ball. about that bass a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the encore, I'm sure, <laughs> of the play. That's awesome. Well, what about, uh, I know, was it last year that you did Scar? Yes. Um, Tell us about that. Um, Joel Meredith and Scott Bell, we got the harebrained idea to do the SCAR. Tell people um, what that is. They don't know okay. what it is. The, the SCAR is a uh, it's an acronym for the Smokies Challenge Adventure Run. And what you do is you run the 
the distance of the Appalachian Trail from Fontana Dam, just outside the Smokies, and you run through the Smokies on the Appalachian Trail over to, is it uh, Davenport Gap? Yeah. Next to I-40 uh, there. Um, it's about 67 or 72 miles. Um, and uh, people choose to do it, you know, south to north or north to south. And the goal is to finish that 72-ish mile distance in less than 24 hours. Um, so we, uh, we set out with a pretty ambitious plan. Uh, we decided to kind of sleep in. Uh, we started around 9 or 10 in the morning. And uh, we made good time, hoping uh, um, we, we were fairly conservative, hoping that once we got to Cleveland Zone, that we'd be able to run a lot more of the downhill during the night uh, to make up our time. Uh, but we found that as soon as night fell, um, we were in a pretty, pretty dense fog bank, and so we were getting blinded by our headlamps. Uh, so we were we weren't able to run during the uh, most of the night. We had to walk in the fog. Um, so that slowed us down quite a bit. We finished around 27 hours. Um, it was a good recon run, good experience, good fellas. Um, but it, it definitely would let me, I mean, I think I would want to go back and try for under 24 hours just, just to Ryan's with uh, you. It's, you know, it's kind of silly, but it, I mean, it's, uh, I do have you know, quite a few backpacking friends that are familiar with the Smokies and to, to see their, their brow kind of furrow when they think of doing the entire distance of the AT through the Smokies, they're like, is that even doable? Um, because when you have a bag, you know, a 40 pound backpack on, you, you don't see things the same way that you may with a, you know, 10 or 15 pound race vest. Yeah. Um, well, so that's normally, that's like a seven day portion right. of the right. people that are through hikers or section hikers. Right. And every day you're, you're getting permits to stay in campgrounds along the way. Yeah. And so if you're running through the whole Smokies, you don't need any permits. Um, but now they have, uh, the Rangers up there, uh, the, the Ridge Runners, um, and they, they've run a pretty tight ship along the show, making sure people have permits um, to stay in the campgrounds along the way. And every Ridge Runner we came across, they stopped us, talked to us, made sure that we were making you know sound decisions to kind of look so <laughs> make sure that we were capable of, of running on. Yeah. Uh, but they would even, uh, they would write our names down um, and then radio to the next. What fake name did you give them, Brad? Uh, <laughs> We all gave them our real names, um, but yeah, they were uh, they were they definitely keep a, a pretty tight ship up there on the mountain, um, which is probably good because uh, it is a high traffic area. <clears throat> but it, it, you could see that they had probably ran into enough, I guess, knuckleheads per se that would would get out there and get over their heads and um, would you know take take their uh, their manpower up rescuing sure. runners on, on the ridge instead of paying attention to the you know to the people who have permits that are staying up there hiking right so I, I imagine if that continues um with running becoming more popular up there there, there may be some stricter guidelines in the future maybe so at least for now there's no guidelines right right <laughs> right they just kind of <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yep. Was, that, was that about this time of year? Did it was that? in the spring, which is a good time, because uh, actually it was just before the leaves came out. Um, and I, I've heard stories that the Smokies are, are cool, but there's not really many places to see a view. Um, but since we were along the ridge most of the way, and, and it was before the leaves had started popping out, we had good views a lot of the way. Um, we could see through the, through the branches because, you know, there, wasn't any, there weren't any leaves to uh, obscure our view. Yeah, depending on the type of year, you can either see green for miles and miles and miles, or you can have the fall foliage, or you can have pretty good views with the. Uh, we were kind of leery of you know bear, of course. So I had a, I had a, a I had some bear spray on me, um, but we never saw a single bear. Never saw any tracks of bear. Only thing we ran into uh, in the morning were three uh, you know black wild boars. So as soon as, as soon as we saw them, I was thinking, ah, bear. But yeah. I quickly identified them as as uh, you know wild pigs, and they just scurried off the back side of the mountain. They wanted nothing to do with us. Um, but that's really the only life, the only wildlife we saw. We didn't even see we didn't see any deer, no except elk, except for Scott. Except for Scott. When you saw them, were you thinking bacon though? When no, you saw the boars, no, no, bacon. <laughs> no. But it was cool because I don't think I, at that time I'd ever seen a wild boar in the you know in the wild. So that was that was a cool sighting.
Nice. Well, do you have anything planned for this year? Are you uh, training for anything or looking forward to anything um, or hoping something is still with, on this With the COVID, summer? Uh, you know, the COVID-19, um, as bad as it is, I, I didn't have any spring plans. So nothing really got knocked out of the way. Um, I do... Uh, I am looking at doing the uh, No Business 100 in October, um, but I haven't been fully on board with the motivation to train specifically for that yet, just because I don't know if it's even going to happen. Yeah. Um, everything's kind of in a holding pattern to see if, you know, if there's going to be a resurgence of the virus, if things are going to start shutting down out of a kind of a panic mode. Um, have you run that one before, the No Business? I have. Um, I've done it in the clockwise version. And uh, so every other year, he changes the direction of the route. Okay, so tell, us, sh- tell us about that, where that is. And- okay, the No Business 100 is in the uh, Big South Fork uh, area of Tennessee. It goes from Big South Fork over to Pickett State Park and then up to the Kentucky uh, border and then back into Tennessee. Um, and for being, you know, essentially in the central area of Tennessee, it's very remote. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's crew access can be pretty hard. Um, that's one of the things that kind of gravitated me to it. I did it the first year they had it, um, and that was one lure of just the unknown because uh, he was having a tough time at first getting volunteer support at some of the aid stations. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we were all just kind of guinea pigs, really. So the, the field was only, I think we capped it at maybe around 70 or 80 runners uh, just to kind of see how things would go. Um, and uh, he had... Um, the, the course was, I thought it was really, it was great. You go by a lot of rock features. You got some overlooks into the Big South Fork. Um, you go under big sandstone arches, uh, through a few uh, tunnels, caves. Um, it was a, it was a great event. Um, and uh, I really didn't want to do it again, per se, in the same direction. But since he gives you, there's an, there's an additional buckle he gives you if you complete it in both directions. So that was a little more incentive uh, to give it a try and uh, also to see it from a different kind of direction. Yeah. Um, and this year it's not, it's going to be at Pickett State Park for the start and finish. Cool. So as of now, it's still on. It's, as of now, it's it still on. It hasn't been postponed or anything he like does that a yet. Good job, uh, Brian does. Uh, Brian Gages? I know I just butchered yeah, that, but uh, um, yeah. He runs a tight ship. Good race director. Yeah. Well, tell me about your COVID backyard run. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, I got this harebrained idea. I've seen, a few, I've seen a few things online about people doing crazy COVID, you know, backyard runs. I've seen people, um, uh, I knew a, a flight a paramedic I, I saw online that was doing a, uh, he was doing a full marathon around a helicopter pad out somewhere in, in the Southwest. Um, and some guy was even doing a hundred miler around his coffee table in his living room. What? And uh, it was about the coffee table was probably four foot by six feet, and sure enough, he was just doing lap, 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 lap around that coffee table. And I was like, "That's just harebrained. You got to yeah. be really bored to do something like that." <laughs> and so this was probably week. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> this is probably week, week two of, of uh, quarantine or, or lockdown for Tennessee. Um, I, I got this idea to do. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll do a half marathon in the backyard. So I went out with my Strava and, and mapped out my course in the yard, and it was going to be like a 0.33-mile loop, a 0.23-mile loop. I was like, oh, man, that's going to be a lot of laps. And so on Friday, I tried to get some, like, motivational backing. So I texted, <laughs> I texted Sid and Scott, and I said, all right, tomorrow I'm going to do a backyard half. And then uh, <laughs> so I went home and – Laid there in bed. I was like, ah, that's a lot of laughs. I just didn't have the motivation for it. So I didn't do it. And so it kind of, <laughs> it bugged me for like the whole week. And I was like, I just got to do it because I can't go anywhere else. Everything's, you know, shut down. And you told um, Sid you're accountable so for it. Happened it, to be my, <laughs> exactly. it happened to be my daughter's birthday on April 4th. And uh, so I was like, all right, um, I'll wake up early. And she said that she wanted to do a part of it with me. I was like, all right, that's cool. So I woke up at, I started at 6 or 7 a.m. and just started it. I just I just went. So <coughs> I had the course mapped out in my yard. It was kind of a, I guess, more or less a U-shaped course. 
Um, and it was, it turned out to be like 54 laps in my yard. Um, and then for like the, since it was the COVID-19, I wanted to do, uh, it was like 11 point, let's see here, um, 1.9, my, my daughter wanted to do 1.9 miles of it for her birthday. Mm -hmm. And so she joined me for the last 1.9 miles of it. And so while we were running, my wife's on the back porch, um, cheering us on. And she made some little cardboard uh, medals for us. Uh, <laughs> mine said the COVID-19 miler, or 19K, and then hers said the COVID 1.9 miler. And so we have them still hanging in our living room on our picture. So it, it was it was a cool, it was a cool nice. deal. But I've never awesome. looked at my yard the same way since. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then there's a lot of potential in the yard and you can't go anywhere. That's your refuge, you know, sure. make, it what, make what you can out of it. <clears throat> so you don't look at your yard with contempt thinking I never want to right and I, I did have stuff. a nice little uh, <laughs> trail worn down in my yard <laughs> all right let's hear Brad Reed we have more Brad Reed Pinhoti stories well yeah I've got this a couple I've got to say that always besides the spider eyes that will forever uh, burn in my brain as long as I can remember and uh, and I'm, I'm always indebted to Brad for his friendship and most importantly and uh because he's a good friend, and uh, uh, but he, when he crewed me at the, or ran with me at Penhody, the first thing was we, we came into the aid station. I can't remember exactly what mile it was, if seventy-ish or something. And I'm, I lose Brad <clears throat> for just a minute, and I'm maybe grabbing some food and you know ready to move on out. And, and Brad's over with a little a Dixie cup full of bourbon and I, I look yeah. over and he's smelling it and he's going mm, like somebody <laughs> I said dude what, you know like what the crap what are you doing we got to finish this thing he said I just something to take off the edge so he just throws that back and we we motor on or you know power hike on or run shuffle whatever you want to call it and uh, then we get that 80 then 85 after Pinotes that basically that jeep road except you know y'all know except for the last two miles so Brad would straighten me up when I would go into that curmudgeon lean, we called it, where I would bend over to the right. Uh, Brad would go, you're starting to lean a little bit. I'd straighten back. <laughs> so he, he kept me from... Uh, toppling? Toppling over, you know. It kept me up. A strong breeze might have just knocked him right over. <laughs> I told him, uh, every like eight or ten minutes, he would like need a verbal correction because he would start leaning over and I would call him out on it and he would, he would straighten me back up. <laughs> And towards the end, I started saying that he was listening to Starboard. <laughs> <laughs> I finished straight up down, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we had a good time. It was good. Uh, yeah, that was uh, more than he signed up to do. But uh, anyway, it worked out well. Plus, he got to go shopping at TJ oh, Maxx. Oh, so oh man. With, uh, with uh, well, Denise and... Well, uh, <laughs> Well, when you're waiting for Sid, yeah. While Sid's out running, though, we have about two or three hours to kill before we meet him at the first aid, the big aid station on mile thirty. And so uh, Denise and uh, Ashley are like, "Hey, let's go to TJ Maxx." And so me and uh, Tyler were like, "Well, all right." We'll and so me and Tyler just kind of hand boned it up a little bit and walked around, and they came out with bag loads of stuff um, from TJ Maxx. Oh man. That's funny. A little shopping trip. That's right. Well, I think I had it better when I uh, helped you out, Sid. After I ran with you, I went and slept for like four hours. I just remember how envious Shane was because Shane had the second night shift uh, afterwards and he was just like, you got to go home and sleep in a bed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was a rough one. But I appreciate all the help from everybody. But I always remember, I always remember Brad straightened me up in the spider eyes for sure. <laughs> but I enjoy both really aspects good. of that. Running a 100 miler is awesome, but I've had a chance now to crew or, or pace four uh, different 100 milers, and that's just a, an awesome experience in itself. Um, you don't have to work as hard, but it's definitely uh, fun just kind of cutting up and, and watching other teams work together. Um, um, some people come through just in a blaze of lightning, they'll grab two or three snacks and shoot on out. And then some people will come in and they'll have a, a lawn chair popped out for them and they'll yeah. sit there for 20 minutes getting their feet and legs rubbed on, uh, you know, ice packs or warm packs on their back. It's definitely a, a everyone is out there uh, 
getting what they want to get out of that event. Yeah. Um, um, it so. is for sure way more fun <laughs> to crew or pace than it is to run. It's it's for sure. Yeah, it's more stressful to crew. I think so. But it's yeah, it's definitely more work to run the whole thing. But it's more <laughs> stressful to crew. Yeah, because you know, you, you know, I've got to be there. Yeah, I yeah, you can't give up. Like, you can't give up when you're crewing your pacing. Yeah, and there's been a few times where I've come through <laughs> late in the race, and uh, I've admitted this to Sarah as well. But um, she, I'll come through, and I'm like, right, Sarah's gonna be at this next aid station. I feel like total, like a total mess. Um, but I've got to get my game face on and look yeah. happy and, <laughs> and enjoying this experience. Or I'm likely she might just say, all right, you need to go to the car where we're gonna leave. You know, kind of thing. So. You definitely have to come in, come in there with your game face on, be cheery, uh, thank everyone, and, and uh, you put on your happy face, and then progress on through that uh, that low point. Um, so now that I've uh, spilled those beans a few times on her, she's less leery to believe me when I come in looking rough. But uh, I think she trusts my judgment on those. Uh, on those. <clears throat> you've you've done you've done enough and finished enough that she can kind of uh, let you do your thing, right? Right. right. Funny. And I guess that's one thing that um, when you when you do these hundred milers, I've done six now, uh, and they're they're each each experience. I would think would take me through my whole life just thinking about each of them, because uh, they do. There's not many days out there where you can plan on experiencing you know every human emotion during the day. You know you get you're, you're thankful to be out there, but then you're kind of elated to be out there and then you start having the, the kind of the guilt side set in like, Hey, I should be home with my kids. I should be, you know, sitting on the couch with my wife and I'm out here, you know, being selfish in the woods, <laughs> running at night. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, as the daylight creeps in, you get more energy and you're thankful just for the ability to do it. Um, and I think that's the powerful draw of it. It, it does tear you down, yeah. but it teaches you so much. Um, and it gives you a lot of perspective. At some uh, points you're bargaining. At some points you're hallucinating. Yeah, yeah you go through all the five stages of grief. Uh, <laughs> you finally come out of it. You find meaning in your life, and then you forget it all. Right. Three weeks later, <laughs> you're like, "Did I actually do that? Did I really run 100 miles?" And when you do these, you're also at the finish line. You're like, well, "How many of these do I really need to do to prove to myself that I can do them?" Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know I can do them, but I, but then it gets to the point of now it just has to be an, an ex the experience has to be worth the effort, I guess you could say. Yeah. So like what I, keeps I you going? You've done you've done you know, six. This is no longer a. I, done, you know you can finish. You know you can do it. So. Right. And I've done two or three road marathons, but I, I can't see myself ever doing a road marathon unless it's with you know with a group of people that I want to hang out with or. If it's in a unique city, some experience other than just the run would have to be there. Because uh, um, it, it's more than, it's, the fun is more than just the distance. It's, it's what comes with it. I love it. Think about the difference in the, uh, I know we've talked about that before, the difference in the folks at the, as far as the road running and the trail running right. community. It's a little bit different. Totally energy. different, isn't it? Yeah. And when you finish a, a longer race and you just see 50 people that have been competing, you know, for the last couple hours, and they are just sitting in a cold creek beside the finish line just chatting it up like, um, you know, it's high school buddies. You know, it's, it's something you don't see in many other sports, you know. You know, many of the sports you may just you shake hands and you go to your locker rooms or you uh, and you put on your your solar blanket and head back to your car yeah. after a road race kind of thing, but you don't have that that community feel um, that makes a big part of it. Yeah, so I know people gave Killian and Schlarb kind of a hard time for finishing together at Hard Rock to win. You mm -hmm. know, and they both won, but there is that too. I know. Uh, yeah, I've run 100K with a guy, and we would run the first 40 miles together, and that was our agreement. I said, man, we're going to kill each other this next lap and a half, but if we get to mile 55, we're still together. We're just going to finish it together. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what we did. We, we went after each other, and, I mean, ended up, you know, 
we didn't finish together, but all the same, it was that, and we would have. We'd been off 55, gotten to that last stage station together. We were shot in together. But then once again, you got to the finish line. Everybody sat down. You talked. You laughed about it. You, you know, it's a good time. You, don't, you didn't get that in track in college. No, you don't get no. that at a road race. Somebody beats you, you're kind of pissed <laughs> off at yeah. it. And I don't know what it is about an ultra. You, you, uh, I've run into maybe two assholes during 100-mile races. Yeah, the distance does weed those people out. It does. Yeah, you That's really want to be there and you want to be a part Every, of it. Everybody just there to, exactly, be part of it, help each other survive, help each other reach those goals. We all started with the same goal to just finish it, right? You just want everybody else around you to be able to do and that. If you can be a, if you can be a pretty solid uh, fella or lady as far as, you know, personality-wise, a mile eighty when you're exhausted, then you're you're probably going to be pretty squared away with people <laughs> when you're you know fresh every day. You know. True. I was in pretty bad mood by like mile ninety-seven. <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe like the honoriest I've been in my life. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, man. I know, I right? I don't see that. <laughs> He's always all smiles, as far as I know. Phil was there. Brian remembers when I finished. I was not. I was, like, glad to be done when I finished, but there was no, like, big smile on my face or anything like that. I was just like, great. On to the next thing. Man. <laughs> Mount Chiahog and him and his Keanu Reeves shirt. Oh, oh yeah. man, that was fantastic. Brian and his Keanu Reeves shirt. Now, I don't think you got to wear that the whole night, right? No. Uh, just for about 20 miles. And, oh, know, maybe when he was helping. He was helping. Shane. 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 Oh, right. Yeah. right. That was something. That was a sight. <laughs> <laughs> Voted most popular. Yeah. <laughs> Hot pink fan, uh, man panties and uh, the Keanu Reeves uh Break shirt. Yeah, well, that's what he's wearing right now, so it I don't know. <laughs>